This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here at Vox headquarters in New York City. In a minute, we're going to take you to a fancy Midtown hotel where I talk to Graham Yost. He's a TV screenwriter, movie screenwriter. He's got a cool show on Amazon called Sneaky Pete. Before we do that, here's my now standard request to rate review us on Apple Podcast. And also uh, an offer if you're coming down to Austin at the beginning of the month to uh, South by Southwest and you'd like to see me, guess what? You can. I'm going to do something with Ev Williams for the South by Southwest event there. Um, and there's also something called The Deep End with Vox Media. That's a, a whole house we're renting out and doing cool events. I'm going to talk to Jason Blum, the guy behind Blumhouse. You may have heard of him before on this very show. And maybe one other cool interview, which I can't tell you about quite yet. You can find all that information on Recode.net and also at the top of my Twitter feed. You are smart. You can figure it out. So here is that Graham Yost interview. It sounds echoey. It's because this fancy hotel has a lot of marble in it. So it's a tiny bit bouncier than Jelani and I would have liked. But we think you can listen to it. You'll enjoy it. I'm with Graham Yost, the executive producer. Do I get to call you the creator as well, Graham? No, you do not. Not the creator. But you can call me the showrunner. Guy in charge of Sneaky Pete, which you can see on Amazon, I think an episode at a time. No, no, you guys, the you, whole you, do the whole, you do the full drop. Boom. There's my, there's my research out the door. <laughs> uh, Graham has made a lot of cool things over his career. Uh, he wrote Speed, yep. which is a great movie. Uh, made Justified, which is one of my favorite all-time TV shows. I want to talk to you about Sneaky Pete to start with in case you, this is the second season. Second season. If you have not watched the first season, you can go watch it now. Yeah. With Amazon Prime. This new world. Um, Watch anything, the, anytime. The, the quick the synopsis, it's a caper show. It's a, so he is, uh, Marius, played by Giovanni Ribisi, uh, as the first season opens, has been in prison for three years and he's just getting out. And he finds that the, uh, the world outside has changed a little bit and some business that basically sent him to jail is still hanging over his head. And the bad guy, Vince, played by this actor, you might have heard of Brian Cranston. Um, also basically, a producer. Also a producer, and he's a co-creator with David Shore. That uh, they, they, they want their money. Uh, Vince wants his money, and it's uh, going to be bad for him. So Marius hides out, takes on the personality, the persona, the ID of his cellmate, uh, Pete, and shows up at this farmhouse that Pete hasn't been to in 20 years and says, hey, it's me, Pete. So he takes over that life. It's an assumed identity, and he's got to kind of scramble to try and get this money to Vince and all this stuff and finds out this family is not just this sweet, uh, he thought they were like municipal bonds or something. No, it's a bail bonds yep. company. And... Um, yeah, and he's, so he's juggling identity, identity, and running involved. cons, running cons, and it turns out he's running a big con against Vince, and that's season one. Season one ended with him thinking it was all taken care of, and then something from Pete's past. So the guy he's pretending to be, something from Pete's past comes up and bites him in the ass, and these thugs grab him and say, "Take us to your mother and the eleven million dollars, or we're going to kill your family." Because they think he's Pete. And that's where we start with season two. So it's a fun show. It got good buzz last year. That's how I ended up finding it. It's, a, it's interesting to find a streaming show right now because you don't generally see a lot of TV ads for it. Right. Um, but I found it. It's great. Um, looking forward to catching up on season two. Just watched the first episode this morning. Um, how did you get to this show? Because originally it was a CBS show and you were originally and were not involved, right? Right. So originally it was uh, Cranston. You created it with David Shore. And they did it for CBS, CBS passed. And, you know, occasionally this can happen in this business when there's, uh, you know, a busted pilot that there's someone else will pick they it up. They made the show. They made they a pilot made episode. They made the pilot episode. Right. 
And uh, Amazon said, uh, Morgan Wandell, who was running drama at that time, said, yeah, yeah, okay, we'd like some changes. We want Vince to be, we want you to play. Actually, he didn't say we want you to play Vince, but they said, we'll create Vince as this bad guy. And they only had three weeks to get it done and shoot some new scenes. So it was like, might as well be me, is what Brian said, because then we don't have to cast. So that was stitching together. That stitching was just stitching together, together just after the fact. They shot some additional scenes. Um, in fact, there's this one pivotal scene in the pilot toward the end between Marius and uh, Audrey, the grandmother played by Margot Martindale. And, they, and I realized, wow, they shot that in the barn at Disney Ranch where we shot a lot of Justified. So... Um, at any rate, then Amazon said, yes, it, you know, what they would do is just put the pilot up and see how people responded. And it got a really good response. So they said, let's do a series. And there and was you're a, still not involved. With still not involved. There was a first attempt to have a writer's room and run it. And it was just it was just hard to come up with the stories. And I think that and so that writer's room disbanded. And there was a feeling because of Justified that I might be the right person. And so I watched the crime and you get crime and a little bit of humor and some characters that Elmore Leonard, yeah. this is, it's not quite Elmore Leonard, uh, sneaky Pete, but it's Elmore Leonard. It's got Jason. that vibe. And also, by the way, you've got some of the same actors, which I well, there you is go. not an accident. Well, no. So once I saw it and then, and then, uh, Fred Golan, who did all six years with me on Justified and Michael Dinner, who directed the pilot of Justified and was our directing producer, um, we all signed on. Um, but part of it was because of Margot. And another part was, uh, frankly, Giovanni and Marin Ireland and Shane and Lee Bay and Peter Garrity. And it was just, it's, you, it's rare in this business to be handed a great premise, really good pilot. Seth Gordon did a great, great job on the pilot. You're handed that and just this terrific cast. So that was the reason we so all signed You said up. it's not unusual or it happens sometimes. But in the pre-streaming days, right, if you made a show for a network and they passed, that show generally just... 90 managed. times out of 100. It right? Even They're, if it was a good show, no one wanted to touch it. It seems like in the streaming era, Amazon and Netflix are often interested in picking up something that someone passed on. Has They're more interested than in the past another network would be interested in picking up Why do you up think something. that is? They're just, you know... Because they can see it. Someone's already done that work of actually putting the pilot up yeah. and, 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 and shooting it. They can tell whether or not it's something that might work for them. Seems logical that you'd want to do that. It's, it's, I think it's less, much less logical that the networks for years wouldn't ever do that. Well, it's also because the networks had such, well, not narrow channels, but, you know, there was an ABC type of show. There's a CBS type yeah. of show. There's an NBC. So if you're shooting something for CBS, chances are working on NBC or Fox is, is slim, but it could yeah. maybe work on another, on a streaming service. And when they come to you and say, we have a show that doesn't work, um, and it's for Amazon, mm-hmm. which even a couple of years ago was still pretty new to TV, and uh, someone just worked in that world, yeah. do, do, do you have, are you reticent to take that on? Do you go, well, I don't know. So what had happened is, again, I keep on bringing up their names, but Fred Golan, Michael Dinner, and myself, we had worked on a pilot script for uh, Fox that previous fall. And then in January, we were told they weren't going forward with it. So we were very which disappointed. Is standard. Which is standard, right? That's that pyramid in Hollywood. Burn uh, a lot of money and time and doesn't have it. You know, you, you have 100 pilot scripts written, you shoot 10, and you put two on the air. You know, it's it's this this pyramid of death. But so we found out we weren't going forward. We had nothing to do. So when they came to me, it was like, well, we got nothing else going on right now. We could be developing things. Um, 
but might as well do, again, premise, cast, and that pilot. Yeah, we'll take it on. And I'll be totally honest. There is a feeling of like, well, if we if we fuck up, if we don't crack this, everyone else is going to get the blame, you know. And if we succeed, then we get patted on the back. So it was uh, there. There was the stakes for us were not as high. We could sort of relax and enjoy it and just try and do the best show we could. And do you think about this as a streaming TV show, or this is a TV show that Amazon is streaming? So that is an interesting question, and it's it's um, it's you know as things start to change and you start to think of things differently. Uh, for example, we pitched the first episode of the first season, or our first episode, not the pilot, but and pitched it to Morgan Wandell and Brian and his partner James Degas and all the Sony guys, Zach and Jamie, and we had it up on the board as we we are we are a whiteboard. I like to have a whiteboard room instead of cards. So we've got it put up there, put up there, and we've got it broken by Axe. And Morgan says, "Yeah, we don't have Axe at Amazon," and uh, because I, because there's no commercials, and so you're not breaking it up every eight minutes or ten minutes. Um, but I said to him, "We still have Axe creatively because we need to know the pace of the episode. Where are we hitting? What? Where? You know, when?" Because viewers, you think, just have that condition. They they expect that, or that's just how you know how I to make a thing. I know to make to, to tell a, a dramatic story. story. But it starts to change over time because you don't have to go to commercial break, and you realize, oh, that thing that normally I would put, you know, in the last ten minutes, we can put that at twenty minutes to the end, and we can amble a little bit as long as we've got a big. Turn it. They, they, they. Even more than than uh, on FX with Justified, um, streaming shows like a big uh, cliffhanger, some kind of hook at the end of the episode, because for them the show is working when people let it roll. When it says the ep- next episode will start in right. however many seconds. If people just let that roll, then the show is so working. In the olden days, right, that was to get you to come back next, next week. week. Here, it's just stay on the couch for another 10 couch. seconds. Stay on that's the, couch. the same construction. It's really. the same, roughly the same construction, but there's an urgency to it rather than, oh, yeah, I'll check in on that next week. It's like, I'm going to watch it now. And um, I have been told by someone that the best way to break out of that, that addiction is to stop an episode in the middle. So get to about twenty minutes oh, in, you, and then you, go if, to bed. If you don't want to binge, if you do, if you, you know just, you have to, but, get you, to sleep. but you've got to see what's going to happen next because they've just hooked you. Um, yeah, just so you lean even harder on. Holy shit! This thing just happened. We got to yeah, go. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't have to be a gun to the head. Uh-huh. It can just be. Well, as the first episode of this season ends, it's just propelling you forward into the next episode. Right. You know, we've we've got the holy shit thing happened ten minutes earlier. The holy shit thing happened ten minutes early. Now it's we have to accomplish this, and it's impossible. Let's do it, and and hopefully that's enough to let. Are, are there other parts of making or marketing the show that are different for this? You know, it's small stuff, but it's there's a a thing where you're in a bar in the first season, and the props guy said, "What kind of beer do you want him to drink?" And it's like. Well, does it have to be, you know, Hampstead? And, you know, it's these made-up brands, yeah. you know, Kingsland, you know. Well, not Kingsland. But, um, and uh, he said, no, it can be anything. Because there's no advertisers. You don't have to worry about offending uh, Coors if yeah. you're putting Bud Light on, on screen. So um, that's a small thing, but it's it it creates better verisimilitude. Um 
Budgets you know, are the same, looks like, at this point Budget's now. basically the same. Same kind unless of Unless you're doing Game of Thrones. Yeah. You know? You've got money for music but, rights. I saw there was a, there's a Steely Dan reference in the first episode, and then you end with Steely Dan in the credits. It was very expensive, yeah. and I got yelled at. Yeah. But I insisted. Walter Becker had just died, and we're putting in a Steely Dan song. Um, Sorry to spoil the first episode, but it's a good that's song. That's okay. It's, it's a, a good song. song. And that was Michael Dinner's idea to put, put that song in at the end. You know, it's the same constraints. And really, unless, you know, once Amazon starts doing Tolkien series, yeah. and I've spent a lot of money on that, that'll be, then they'll be spending a lot of money. But for a show like this, you don't need an unlimited budget. You don't need an HBO budget on this. It's, you can get it done in the time allowed. That doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that we didn't have two crews running um, for, you know, for many days to pick up scenes that we dropped on the previous episode and all that kind of thing. And then trying to schedule the actors and, you know, because it's got a big cast. Um, but, um, yeah, we, you know, we were able to get it done. In, in podcast land, we take short breaks to hear from advertisers. Okay. We do have advertisers. So we're going to come back in one minute or less. Okay. See you in one second. Today's show is sponsored by Mac Weldon. They make the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you'll ever wear. I'm wearing the socks right now. That's why I seem so comfortable. If you saw me at Recode Media, you would have seen those socks flashing too. They're a bright blue pair. People are impressed with those. So not only are they comfortable, not only do they look great, they smell great. They're made of naturally antimicrobial fiber that actually eliminates odor. They're easy to buy. Go to MacWeldon.com. You get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. I buy them myself. That is the best endorsement I can give you. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. You will like these things if for some reason you don't like them. Unbelievable. You can hang on to them. Tell Mac Weldon they will send you your money back. You get 20% off with the promo code RECODE at MacWeldon.com. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code RECODE. Today's show is brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Are you hiring? Because every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, figures out how to find those people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just a day. The right candidates are out there and ZipRecruiter is how you can find them. It's the smartest way to hire, and right now my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free $0. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. Back here with Graham Yost. Hey, Graham, he's still hey, here. He did not move. I did not, not an inch. It's a lousy day to move. Oh, it's fantastic out there. Uh, we're recording this on a crummy day in March. You can see the show in March. Do you think about how people will find a show like this? Um, if you go to Amazon, if you know to go to Amazon Video, there's a whole carousel of stuff there, movies, etc. Do you think about how they will get word out to a viewer other than podcasts? Um, Is that not your job? It's not my to job. To worry about. It's not my job. It really... It, the thing is, is that some people, some showrunners are really smart about that and know how to get involved and know how to push things in a certain direction. My feeling is that's not my forte. That anytime I think of something like, hey, why don't you do X or Y, the, it'll be explained to me that I'm an idiot. They politely say, they, great, great idea. Great they idea. Yeah, you, yeah. And they never come um, back. And then, uh, and then, you know, frankly, uh, you see the, the, uh, the trailers that Amazon cuts and the ads and the ideas that they have, there's one they call Truth, which is a poem by Emily Dickinson being read by Lee Bear, who plays uh, uh, the kid in the show. 
uh, Carly. And I don't know who came up with the idea, but it was great. It was beautiful. And it had all the cool shots of the season and stuff. And it's like, man, you guys know great. what you're doing. You guys go for it. Yeah. And then you see their print campaigns and it's like, well, shit, that's wonderful. So really, um, I just kind of stay out of that and go, good job. And then now I'm in New York and I'm riding the subway and I'm, you know, seeing how many sneaky ads are on the on the subway walls. Those are for your benefit. For yeah, you. I know. Sure what if they just them. like disappeared as as I went through the station? Um, no, but I count them and it's like, and I know that next week or the week after, those will be disappearing and all the Americans' ads will yeah. be coming in. So, but you also are happy to see. I'm uh, happy to see that. Um, do you? You mentioned the Tolkien shows. It's reported and true that, that Amazon now sort of has bigger ambitions for TV. They want to do bigger shows, reach a bigger audience. You came on when they were still in the, we're very happy that Transparent is a critical hit with a relatively small audience. As they are scaling up their ambitions, does that change what you need to do for a show like this? Um, you know, it's not that hard to work an orc and a warg into, no, I don't know. Listen, <laughs> hey, if they were writing wargs, that would be fantastic. Listen, I'm a, I'm a total Tolkien geek. I belong to the Tolkien Society of America when I was a kid. So I support anything that involves more of his, his world coming to life. It's a different kind of thing. I think that, that, um, sneaky is not that kind of thing. It doesn't need to compete with that. And this is one of the interesting things is that there's room for so much. That you can have a show like Sneaky, uh, you can have a show like The Tick, you can have a show like uh, Patriots, and and all these things, and and some of them are going to work, some of them aren't going to work, but you're not, um, and then you can also have, you know, the Silmarillion or whatever they're going to do. Um, but the you know when they started, they were really just tinkering, and they sort of stumbled in. I think from the outside, it looks like they stumbled into sort of these small, quirky shows that then had critical buzz um it seems like they've they're upping their ambitions and they want a bigger audience and a show like sneaky pete right is not it's it's not it's not intended for what's the polite way to say it right yeah it's, it's a broad audience here. no you're it's trying, it's, trying, it's, it's, trying, it was it it's a show that could run on a broadcast network right it's well meant, it, it could with except for the swearing and the and the right and the, and the sometimes it's dark nerdy, and but, people get killed yeah it's dark and people get killed so it fits this thing it could could maybe be on basic cable um you know, listen, Sneaky, you know, Amazon doesn't release numbers, but they do release the rankings. And Sneaky was the number one show for them in North America. So you're and, good. And second in the world. So that's good. Now, if I find out that number one means 700 people, that's not good. Do you want to find out or you, no. have you, you no, know? Because honestly, the only, and I used to say this, we get the overnight ratings on Justified and we get the... It's not going to affect our storytelling because we do so much of the shows now long before they air. So with Justified, we shoot an entire season pretty much and then it would start to air. So it's not as though any information we get from the ratings is going to change things. And that's certainly the case with this because the whole thing drops at once. So the only the only thing that matters is whether they say they want another season. Right. That's all it comes down to. So you make the Americans, like you said, you're a producer. There. I'm a producer on that. I don't make it. I just read scripts and watch cuts and say, Joe and Joel, you're doing and that, a fantastic that job. That is a critically beloved show. Yes. Not a huge audience. Not a huge when you audience. see the numbers coming in for that, does that, do you think, do you think, boy, I'd rather not see the numbers there? I, it's just, I, 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 you know, I feel bad for the network that they're not as big as they could be, but I also feel good for the network because the Americans has been a real um, success for them critically. And not only critically, they FX loves that show. John Landgraf loves that show. 
as does John Solberg and Eric Schreier and Nick Grad and the whole team, uh, Colette. And, uh, you know, they, they just, they, they love it because it's really good and it's smart and it's engaging and it's, and it's, uh, it's got its own pace and it's, um, you know, people want to find out what's going to happen to that family. How, how much care? How conscious of you are the of the fact that there is so much tech money coming into Hollywood right now, trying to make content? Netflix is going to spend eight billion. Amazon spending whatever they're spending. Apple's showing up with a big checkbook. The guys from Sony, who you know, um, do you think, boy, there's a window here, and I've got to make whatever I can make because this can't last forever? Or do you just go about your your business? Yes, uh, yes, and no which is that there perhaps is a window, but no one knows. Look, as a writer, the previous um, guild negotiations back in, well, we struck in 2007, and then there was another negotiation, and then there was the threat of a strike the last time around. Previous negotiations, the studios would claim poverty. This time they said, okay, we can't claim that. When we started Justified, I remember Zach uh, Van Amberg at Sony saying, we honestly don't know if doing shows for, for basic cable makes financial sense. We don't know. And then he would, you know, try and bust my balls on some kind of budget issue. And I'd say, well, then don't make the show. And he'd say, shut up. We're going to make the show. And on we would go and we'd give each other shit. But um, they can't claim that anymore. It, it does work. But no one's sure... Is basic cable going to survive? Is it going to be nothing but streaming? Is it network and streaming? Is it a combination? How are people going to get this? Is there going to be a singular portal that everyone's going to gravitate toward? Are you going to be able to buy a package where you get Hulu and, and Apple and, and Netflix and Amazon for, you know. Kind of like cable TV. Kind of like cable TV. And when are you, where are you going to watch your sports? And how is ESPN going to do? So it's um, an incredibly tumultuous time. And no one knows what's going to happen. It's a time of great opportunity, but it's also a time of um, people also are kind of they're 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 protecting their their slice of the pie. Do you think so well, we do a, this and we're going to do more of that? Do you think well, I've got a project and normally I couldn't get it financed, but if the Apple guys are around and they want to throw money around. I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this thing that I would never normally pitch to another network. Um, you think that, and then invariably you guess wrong. You know, I mean, at least for me. Yeah. And um, I've already been talking to the Apple guys. The one complicated thing for me about Apple is that Morgan Wandell, who was the head of drama at Amazon, is now at Apple running international. And his assistant is my daughter. So there was one weekend <laughs> where she had this these scripts that Noah Wiley and I had written when we when he, we were doing something for Sony, trying to get this miniseries off the ground. And uh, we wrote it for FX, FX passed. Now we're having Apple read it. And my daughter says it's on her weekend read pile. And I said, Clementine, you have to recuse yourself because if you like it, that's great. But if you don't like it, I don't want to hear that. You know, so that's part that's of the, my story. That's the that. nepotism downside. Yes. Um, we'll take one more quick break. Come right back. Okay. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step -step recipes with pre-measured ingredients that makes cooking easier and more fun. You choose from your menu of chef-curated recipes. There's a classic, there's a veggie, there's a family, which means more stuff. You pick the day you want HelloFresh to deliver your meal whenever works best for your busy schedule. This is a big thing with the, with the meal kit delivery services. Some of them are not that flexible. HelloFresh is. If you're out of town, no need to worry about it. You pause your account for weeks at a time. 
All the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipes. It's all delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging. HelloFresh makes it easy to cook delicious, balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. I have done it myself. It is true. So you can stop spending money on takeout, stop wasting time planning your dinners and shopping for groceries. It's so convenient, so easy. You have to try it for yourself. I have. It is convenient and easy. If you want $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, that's a good deal. Go to HelloFresh.com. Enter the code MEDIA30. That's the word media and then three and a zero. One more time. That's HelloFresh.com. Dot com code media 30 and we're back it's still cold outside it's nice inside hello <laughs> um can we just talk a bit about about how you got into the business sure because you you came from speaking of nepotism, not nepotism but your dad was in entertainment right yeah it, it, not nepotism we you know i was hoping for nepotism and that didn't work out but certainly example and uh yeah what did he do my dad ran a show in toronto for 25 years called saturday night at the movies and it was on Canadian equivalent of PBS. It was provincial. It was um, TV Ontario. And he'd show a couple movies every Saturday night. And in between the movies, he'd have interviews with people who worked in those movies. Like if he had the Oxbow incident, he'd have an interview that he did with Henry Fonda. But he'd also have a panel of people talking about, in the case of the Oxbow incident, uh, vigilantism. That's and a cool show. It's a cool, it was a great show. And he... Uh, was just a great fan of movies. He loved movies. And people would say, oh, your dad never puts on anything he doesn't like. And it's like, yeah, because he gets to choose what he puts on. That's a so great he gig. doesn't. But every year his producer would make him put on a couple musicals and he never enjoyed that. But, um, and so it was your thought, I want to do this, I want to do a version of this. Yeah. And he also wrote some children's adventure books. And, uh, you know, my brother and I grew up in a household where we, talked about movies and books all the time and we didn't go to church our church was the movie theater you know the lights going down we're now going to watch stories that are going to entertain us and edify us and and that was our life and it was fantastic and so um you know my dad also he's the one who back in the early 80s was talking to me he said you know i heard about this kurosawa script about a train that can't slow down or, or it'll blow up and he said, I always thought that was a good idea. And eventually it was made and it was runaway train. But it wasn't that they can't, that it's going to blow up. They just can't get to the brakes. And I came out of that and I thought, man, it'd be better if that was a bus. And thanks, that, Dad. And that started, and thanks, Dad. Exactly. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, thanks, Akira Kurosawa. And, and before you wrote Speed, you were making TV. Was I the, was the thought Nickelodeon. Was the thought, I'm going to graduate from TV and into movies and then never look back at TV? Or That wasn't the thought, but that was part of the sort of, um, ethos or whatever, or um, um, sort of uh, zeitgeist of, of Hollywood writers at that time. So I worked on f Full House for nine and a half weeks, and I quit four days before I thought I was going to be fired. I've since found out they weren't going to fire me. I was just miserable there. And two days after I quit, Speed sold. And so then Speed came out, and years go by, I'm on the lot, I go to visit the Full House writer's room to say hi, and there were a bunch of the writers were still there, and they look at me like the guy who graduated from AAA ball to go play, to play in the show, that I've gone up to the major leagues, and they're like, how is it up there? Another 10 years, 15 years go by, and now I see fellow feature writers, and they're saying, how do I get into TV? And so the whole paradigm yep. has, has shifted in the past 20 years. Why do you think... Uh, um 
Netflix and Amazon's played around a bit with it as well, has not been as successful making movies as they have with TV shows. Is there something different about the process that hasn't translated? Maybe. I think it's also that no one is successful at making movies. You know, it's really hard to make um, to make movies that work, and no one is successful in television except for the few few shows that are. I mean, yes, there are what five hundred scripted shows or whatever it is. Well, we talk about a couple dozen of them. We call it to talk about a couple dozen, and um, it's it's really hard to make it work. And you know, you got to thank your lucky stars if if things align. And it's usually a, a sensibility of of, of story and cast and support of the of the network. And I think that's why, you know, I, I quote unquote, I've been lucky is my luck has been getting associated with things that have all these things that have come together. I have this theory, there's something about the episodic nature of streaming TV that just works better and or keeps propelling you into the next episode like we were talking about. And in a movie, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work and you're doesn't not giving work. another chance. No one really yeah. wants to engage me in that theory, but that's... I know, I think that's a good theory. Good. And I, because I, I think... I have an upvote from Graham Yost. Um, yeah, and, and the, you know, listen, the, the, the thing about the modern TV landscape is the ability to tell a story over 10 episodes. You can do a novel, you know, and that's, that's really fun. To, to tell a story in two hours, it's got to very, be a very particular story, and you really... So many things can go wrong, and then you, you, you've lost it in the first five minutes, and you're never getting it back. Can we talk about Justified briefly? Yes, please. I'm just a giant fanboy, because I love Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard has made amazing books, should have made many amazing movies, less successful than you would think, right? There's a handful of really great Elmore Leonard yeah. movies. and then I one, can tell you his favorites yeah? and his least favorites. It's got to be out of sight, right? Uh, no, his favorite was Jackie Brown. Oh, okay. But Also... But his favorite, I think, working relationship or just palling around was with Scott Frank, uh-huh. who wrote Get Shorty and Out of Sight. Who we've had on this podcast. Scott Frank is, is a great writer and a, good, and a really great guy. And uh, Elmore loved him. And and you nailed the Elmore Leonard tone and vibe and in I your said, show. And I said, I'm going to write Justified just like Scott Frank wrote Out of Sight and Get Shorty, which is let Elmore be Elmore. Use as much of him as you can. The dialogue in Get Shorty and in Out of Sight is Elmore Leonard's dialogue, even if it's Scott doing right. it, it's Elmore. And it's like, when I did the pilot of Justified, I, it's, it's an old story, but I would say, what's Raylan going to say next? And I'd say, well, what did Elmore have him say next? And I would just retype it. Second episode on, we had to figure out how to do that. And that was the challenge. Elmore Leonard was live when you started that show? Did you have to? He was, he was alive for the first four seasons. First four seasons. So were you talking to him throughout yeah. were you asking for script nope. were you asking no 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 i'll tell you what happened though so first season he visited the set and tim was sitting with him and he said why don't you write another Raylan short story and he said okay and he went off and he wrote a story and he enjoyed it so much he wrote two more and he packaged them together as a novel and that was his final novel um his 45th Raylan. and the coolest thing the best thing that has happened to me in this business um is that it's dedicated to Tim and me. And uh, that's something that, you know, Tim and I look at each other and all the tussles we had over the years who have justified, um, because Tim is an incredibly creative person and we didn't always see eye to eye. Tim Oliphant. Tim Oliphant. And we look at each other and it's like, we've got that. You know, that he dedicated this to us. So Elmore loved the show. Um, He got a real kick out of it. And... uh, 
but he was always the inspiration. You know, one of the justified stories is I had rubber bracelets for the writers saying WWED. What would Elmore do? And frankly, I'm going to take that hopefully for the rest of my writing career. Because even if it's not like Elmore Leonard, he had certain rules and goals about character and story and how you do things that um, I think really apply to anything I'm going to do. Um, I'm really lucky because I get to do a podcast where I talk about Elmore Leonard a lot. Scott Frank said, I, I, I said something to the effect of, it seems like you just took out a site. And put it on the put it on the screen. You just lifted the pages. He said, "No, no, no. It's actually much harder than that. And there's a lot of stuff in the book that actually becomes harder to film, and you've got to do a lot more work than just taking the dialogue. But that dialogue is a, is a great start. Why do you think other folks have struggled with his books? Sometimes they just take it for the story, and they don't realize that Elmore isn't about the story. The story is secondary or tertiary. It's really it's character. And it's kind yeah. of the hang, right? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and that was the thing about FX. So for Justified. You know, John Landgraf had worked on Karen Sisko. He actually co-wrote a script on Karen Sisko, the ABC, ill-fated ABC show. Michael Dinner had directed the pilot of Karen Sisko. Sarah Timberman had been universal when the, one of the presidents when they did Karen. So we were all Elmore fans. And I knew that John and FX would let us hang. So we could hang with the bad guys, hang with the good guys, and just have a scene where, uh, as Tim used to put it, the best Elmore scenes, someone's going to get fucked or someone's going to get fucked. You know, it's going to be, it's going to go sexy or it's going to go violent and you don't know and it's going to go funny and it's going to go sad and you just don't know. And um, that was really fun to work in that world. So you had a great hero, Tim Oliphant. You had a great bad guy. He was, you know, it was the role role that Tim was meant to play because he's he's funny, sexy, charming, dangerous, all those things. He could do that. And then we got Walton. And then, and, and then, we got Joel. And then, know, and which, Nick and, which season did Margot Martindale? That was start? the second season. Second season, which, and if you haven't watched the show, watch it all, but go watch the second season. Second season is. Because I'd never seen her before, and she's just one of the great all time villains. Yeah. Where, where did, did you find her? How did, how did, so, how did she come from? Um, you know, I said to FX, I want to do a criminal matriarch for this season, um, want it to be about feud. And they were concerned about a criminal matriarch. Can she be badass? We used to call we badassery. We're always looking for who's a badass. And so we figured that she had to kill someone in that opening episode. And we thought shooting, no, knife, no, poison. So we came up with that idea, built it back into her backstory and did all of that, wrote it. And then casting uh, Cami Patton and Crystal Cargi um, were doing our casting. And they sent over the clips to look at and, uh, you know, to look at on the computer. And they said, we think Margot's the one. And I watched it. And there was some, Adam Arkin was directing. He wasn't sure. He was thinking maybe it was someone else. But then we picked Margot. And then uh, one day, Adam Arkin was over. He was editing. And he said to Sarah Timberman and Fred Gole and myself, I want to show you something. And he took us upstairs and he showed us the final scene of the first episode where Margot, not the final scene, but where he poisons um, poor uh, Chris Mulkey. And uh, we looked at each other after that and said, well, we got a season. You know, we knew. And the other, the other thing about that first episode was Caitlin Deaver, who was playing the kid. Uh-huh. We were thinking if she wasn't good, then we'd have her in the first episode and the last episode. But she was so good that we came up with this whole different thing. And uh, the two of them together, you know, Margot will still talk about Caitlin and what an amazing actor she is. And so, then Margot Martindale's in, in The Americans, and now she's in yes. Pete. Not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. No, when the part of Claudia came up in Americans, 
Um, Joe and Joel were concerned about casting someone who was so identified with Justified. And Landgraf said, that's part of the FX thing. We'd love to cross-pollinate. Put Walton on Sons of Anarchy as Venus Van Damme, you know. That's that's a cool thing to do for FX. We like having a, a crew. The, yeah, the sense of this this FX um, um, you know repertory company. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think I got I was the one who got to call her and tell her, "Do you want to be a spy?" That's pretty cool. Well, thank you for for putting her on TV. Oh man, she's great. She had a great career before, but it's just been so much fun to get to know her and hang with her. And thanks for your time. This is great. I love it. talking to smart people about their cool uh, shows. Uh, so you can watch the entire run of Steve the entire run right now. Right now. On Amazon then, Prime. So yeah. there, there's your promotion. There you go. Job. And free two-day shipping. Thanks, Graham Yost. Okay, thanks, man. Thanks again to Graham Yost for coming on the podcast. Thanks to Jelani Carter, who came with me to that hotel so we could record it remotely. Uh, before we go, one more time, tell someone about this show on Apple Podcasts, on Facebook, Twitter. You know how to do that. We appreciate it when you do. Thanks to our sponsors, ZipRecruiter, HelloFresh, and Mac Weldon. We love you, Mac Weldon. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, who bring you those ads so you can listen to Recode Media for free. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show, which takes a bunch of work. And to my producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson, a second thank you to Jelani Carter, who engineered the episode. This is Recode Media. I am back next week. I will see you then. <laughs>